Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. It's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Quite a night for Taylor Hall. Four points, including a goal on a penalty shot. Early in the third, the Devils lead the Rangers 5-1. Islanders up 4-1 on the Flyers. Also, early in the third period. couple of goals for Tavares tonight, now 36 on the season. Start of the third period, the Red Wings are leading Columbus 4-2. The shots are 31-12 for the Blue Jackets, but they're losing 4-2. Late in the second period, Jets lead the Habs 2-zip. Lightning lead the Bruins 3-0. Panthers up 1-0 on the Predators and just getting underway Flames and Coyotes. Later tonight, Golden Knights against the Canucks, Stars against the Sharks. The Oilers will host the Golden Knights on Thursday, 5.30 face-off show game at 7 here on Ched. Furnace Family Oilers Hockey, Edmonton's Furnace Replacement Experts. Call 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. Josh Donaldson has homered for the second straight day for the Blue Jays. In the top of the sixth, the Jays lead the White Sox 6-4. Not sure if Donaldson whistled at the White Sox dugout like he did uh, yesterday. That was an interesting little aside. Raptors taking on Cleveland. The Cavs leading at 104-90 with 3.20 left. So look like uh, looks like Cleveland is going to take that one. Uh, 27 points, 9 rebounds for LeBron James. WHL playoffs, three game sevens tonight. PA and Moose Jaw just getting underway. Spokane and Portland later. Vancouver and Victoria later. Swift Current advanced last night by beating Regina. We'll have Edmontonian Giorgio Estefan, Swift Current center, on the show later. Of course, he was traded from Lethbridge uh, to Swift Current right at the deadline, along with goaltender Stuart Skinner, who is an Oilers prospect. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Ched, really appreciate you tuning in tonight. You can text 630-630, phone number 780-496-0063. You can email insidesports at 630ched.com. Well... It's been a great last couple of months for Edmonton's Caitlin Osmond. A gold in team figure skating at the Olympics, a bronze in women's figure skating at the Olympics, and about a week and a half ago, she won the World Figure Skating Championship in Italy. She's now touring Japan. Caitlin, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm great, thank you. Well, I bet you are. World Figure Skating Champion. How does that sound? You, I, get you, I guess you're not getting tired of being introduced that way, eh? <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely so exciting, and it's already been a week or so since, or a little over a week, and it still doesn't feel real. 
Yeah, well, that was an incredible moment. Uh, I, I know it obviously happened in the afternoon here uh, in Edmonton, and then I know people told me they, they watched uh, the, the tape delay performance at night on CBC, so that was a pretty cool moment. What kind of messages and, and, and support have you got from friends and family and, and fan, uh, fans back in Edmonton and Canada since you won? It's just been so exciting and hearing all the messages have been incredible. Each person has just been so excited. Um, a lot of people reminding me that this is the first time it's happened in 45 years. Um, so I've been getting a lot of support from that. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up because it had been so long since a Canadian woman won the world's. I mean, how... How aware of that have you been during your career? Were you even aware of it going in? Tell me a little bit about that. I did. I did know about it. Um, but I definitely didn't think I was going to be the one to stop that, <laughs> to stop that and get that gold medal. Um, but it's just always so shocking. The Canadian women have always been strong. Uh, we've always had someone that was fighting for the podium. Uh, people on the podium but just missing that gold medal somehow um, so hopefully now with um, that 45 45 year streak stopped uh, hopefully it won't take another 45 years right that's a good point well you again next year that'd be pretty cool uh, you, you were you were fourth after the short program so you know yeah. sometimes it's 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 hard to jump up from fourth to first what was your mindset going into your free skate? Um, I was in fourth place, and I was down from the leader um, by eight points. So it was quite a lot in the figure skating world is eight points. Um, so going into my free skate, I just I wanted to end my season on a high note. I wanted to skate really well, and I was going to fight to reach that podium. I was second last year at Worlds, and I wasn't, and I was going to fight for at least third um, because I knew that was a fighting chance. Um, and I skated exactly the way I was hoping to. I skated clean. I skated a strong program. Um, my score was close to what I got at the Olympics, so I was very excited by that. Um, so, yeah, I, I did what I wanted to do, and the fact that it held up until the last skater, I was I didn't know what to think. <laughs> so t- tell me first, because we talked after the Olympics, obviously, in, in terms of your free skate, which one did you feel better about, the the Olympics or the Worlds? Um, they're two different things. Um, I did the exact same program, but uh, at the Olympics, I was in my top, top shape I've ever been in. I felt so ready. I felt so confident. Um, I was going in in third place already I just had to maintain that spot um, and I was skating after um, who soon became the Olympic champion so it was always nerve wracking doing that um, whereas Worlds is a completely different uh, atmosphere after the Olympics it was so much of a struggle to get back into training just the energy was tr- uh, energy was not there um, and going into a world when you're not feeling your best is definitely um, a very terrifying feeling. And so in a way, I'm proud of my long program at World because of that. Right on. Well said. Caitlin Osmond, World Figure Skating Champion, joining us on Inside Sports. I'm just curious about the whole experience that you went through. So you told us about your skate, how you felt about it. 
and then you got to watch the, the competition. Or do you? Because, I mean, look, obviously some, some skaters ahead of you, you know, they, they didn't execute the way you did. So are you watching that? Watching them have tough skates and thinking, okay, what? how high am I going to get here? Or what were the whole moments after you, you competed like? After I competed, um, we have to go through this media zone. Um, so I was going through all of that. And when I came out um, and sat down to watch um, the rest of the competition to see how long I would be able to hold up, it was the girl that was currently in third place after the short program. And she was skating. And she was skating decently well. Um, but she had made a few mistakes. And I, I knew at that moment that I at least reached the podium which was what my goal was. I was excited by that. Um, more shockingly, was sitting and watching um, the the Olympic champion. She was skating, and she never makes mistakes. She's always the most consistent skater I've ever seen. And I watched her fall three times. I was in so utter shock watching that um, and seeing that my score once again went ahead. I realized I was going to come second, and then watching the third skater, she was in first. I um, I was behind her by eight points. I was not expecting to surpass that at all. And once again, I was watching the program, and she kept making mistakes. And I just I couldn't believe it until it actually became real, and my whole body was shaking. I couldn't even tie my skates up again to get on the podium. <laughs> Well, that was a pretty uh, special moment. You got a great, uh, you know, moment getting your medal. What, what dare I ask, Caitlin? What happened with the carpet? Somebody told me I got to ask you what happened with the carpet. <laughs> I completely didn't see the carpet at all um, when I was skating around. I was so excited. Um, it was it was dark, so it was a gray carpet on ice. Like you can't see it. Um, and watching the video, I made it a good distance over, so I probably almost could have saved myself. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. You went back and watched it. <laughs> it wasn't until I rolled over and, like, sat up that I realized that the carpet is what I tripped over. And I was like, of course, I would win Worlds and trip over a carpet. But that is something I would do. So it made the moment very special. Well, you didn't you didn't uh, fall when it counted during the competition, so we can we can laugh about the carpet for sure. Uh, Caitlin, before I let you go, and you know, so many people here at Edmonton are, are happy to hear from you tonight and thrilled that you won it all. Uh, tell people what you're doing now, and then also let people know uh, when you're going to be skating in Edmonton because you will be in Rogers Place, not too far down the road. Yeah, so currently right now I'm in Japan uh, doing a Stars on Ice tour across uh, two different cities here. Um, And then not long afterwards I'll be starting the Canadian Stars on Ice tour. That'll start in Halifax and end in Vancouver. So I'll be crossing through Edmonton on May 13th. Um, Yeah, that's when I'm there, I think. Cool. Well, how fun. (laughs) How how amazing is that going to be to get this, this skate in Edmonton just a few weeks after winning Worlds? It's always so exciting. I love skating in Edmonton and um, just skating where I train is always one of my favorite things to do. Um, And also it's an amazing cast that I'm traveling with. Uh, Our entire Olympic uh, gold medal team will be on the ice for that show, plus a few extras. So it'll be very, very exciting. Awesome stuff. Well, Caitlin, once again, congratulations. It's great to talk to you again. Enjoy Japan and uh, look forward to seeing you when you're back in Edmonton. Thank you.
Thank you. That is Caitlin Osmond. What a story. World figure skating champion, first Canadian woman since 1973, trains right here in Edmonton. Inside Sports on 630 Chet, it's 717 Arizona, out to a quick one nothing lead on the Calgary Flames. We're coming right back. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. No practice for the Oilers today. They'll be back at it at 11 tomorrow. We'll see what's going on with Ovitu and Sekra. They were both injured last night against the Minnesota Wild, didn't finish the game. Nugent Hopkins and Benning. Uh, hopeful to uh, return to action and play Thursday night against the Golden Knights. Your Oilers update for Nisku Ford. Every model on sale every day. Nisku Ford above expectations. All right, we got to quickly get back to our off-topic topic. Kellen Kennedy, give me the nuts and bolts, or perhaps I should say give me the sour cream and bacon bits. Ooh. on the Glendon Pierogi. <laughs> well, the giant pierogi was erected in 1991 to draw tourists to this, uh, you know... 1991? 1991. All right. Yep, so there we go. Uh, it measures 27 feet high, 12 feet wide, and nearly 6,000 pounds. And, What's uh, it made out of? <laughs> uh, it is... Is it made out of dough? No, it is not. <laughs> That'd be great. Actually, if you... Uh, it's a, there's a little bit of fiberglass involved in this construction of this thing. So if you ate it, you'd probably be uh, very itchy for a so few days they, afterwards. So they built it in 1991. Yeah. So we got we to bark this down for 2021 to signify the 30th anniversary <laughs> of the Glendon Pierogi. And I love the TripAdvisor uh, article on it. If you Google search world's largest pierogi, uh, it's number one of one things to do in Glendon, first of all. So there you like, go. Like, just go look at it. Yeah, exactly. Um, four, four and a half out of five stars. So highly rated. How many people voted? Uh, six. Well, not bad. <laughs> a- uh, the uh, uh, reviews go from that's one big pierogi to easy attraction to funny looking. Texture to 630-630. Wobbleman has a giant dragonfly. I did not know that. Swan Hills has a large steel grizzly made by Kevin Orcheski. I don't know who that is, unfortunately. Is that an artist I should know about? And Graham says, Willingdon has the world's largest lapel pin. Vilna, the world's largest mushrooms. Mundare, as we mentioned, world's largest sausage. And Andrew has the world's largest mallard duck. Graham adding, I've done the legwork on this. Graham exploring landmarks. Yeah, collectively they are. Alberta. Yeah, collectively they are all known in the art world as the giants of the prairies. Oh, the giants of the prairies. Yes. Well, there we go. There we go. There's another idea for the summer: a giants of the prairies series on Inside Sports. We could get the guy who uh, voiced the hinterland who's who, maybe. To do I the think, intro? I think he's dead, but... Uh, oh, thanks, Kellen. That's real <laughs> we'll nice. It's like you tweeted me the other day. It's like, hey, the guy who wrote The Littlest Hobo is dying. It's like, thanks, Kellen. Let's bring it Let's bring it down. <laughs> well, it was <laughs> national news, Reed. <laughs> 
if I wouldn't have told you about it, you would have found out some way down the line, I guess. But I got a question for you, Kellen, and everybody listening. Okay. Jeff Perlman, who we've had on the show a couple of times, used to write for Sports Illustrated. Right. Now, uh, an author, he wrote Showtime about the 80s Lakers. He wrote The Bad Boys 1 about the 86 Mets. He uh, wrote Boys Will Be Boys about the early 90s Dallas Cowboys. He wrote Gunslinger about Brett Favre. He has, I believe it's now coming out in the fall, the book about the USFL. I think that's his, his next project. So he put this on Twitter last night. So Michigan and Villanova playing in the American College Basketball title championship game. The big one. So this is what he writes. With two minutes left in the game and with Villanova up 18, you get $200 million if Villanova wins. But if Michigan somehow comes back, you die. Do you take the bet? <laughs> First of all, I don't know if Jeff thought of that himself or somebody in the room. Uh, Personally, I would take the bet. Well, it sounds like 18 points in two minutes. Nobody's doing that. There's not enough enough time to get that many possessions. It kind of sounds like the thing a baddie in a Bond movie would say to Bond. You know, it's like a wager or something. Okay, Mr. Bond. So, you know. Mr. Bond, would you like Michigan or Villanova? Uh, so, that's the thing. So, Villanova is up. Let's say any basketball game. Two minutes left. One team is up 18 points. If you bet on them to hold on to an 18-point lead in 120 seconds, you get $200 million. But if the other team comes back to win, you lose your life. Do you take the bet? So, do they have to maintain the 18-point spread is my question. No, no, they just have to win. They just have to win they, out, All right? they have to do is win. Up 18 with two minutes left. Take the bet. Take F- the five bet. Five minutes left, I would not take the bet. Really? No, it would be too risky to bet my life on. Two minutes, absolutely. Like, that's, that's going to be a 99.999% victory probability. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Rainbow Lake has a giant mosquito. Redwater has the tallest freestanding derrick in North America. It's on the golf course, 160 feet tall. And another texter says, anyone who lives east of Edmonton can name at least 10 places with big things. Well, yes, that's the whole point of our discussion. So name some that we're missing. Absolutely. Uh, We'll talk a little hockey, a little golf with Tim. Tim Campbell's coming up next. He writes for NHL.com. He's also played Augusta National. And the Masters starts in a couple of days. That's after the news. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. All right, Arizona's leading Calgary 1-0 in the first period. Panthers up 1-0 on the Predators after two. Early in the third, it's Tampa Bay 3, Boston nothing. Jets 3, Canadians 1. Late in the third, Red Wings up 4-3 on the Blue Jackets. The Islanders blew a three-goal lead, but have now gone ahead again, and they lead the Flyers 5-4 with a minute and a half left, and Taylor Hall has four points. Devils taking it to the Rangers tonight. It's 5-2 with four and a half minutes left in the third. Blue Jays up 7-4 on the White Sox. That's in the top of the seventh. The Raptors lose 112-106 in Cleveland. Raptors still the best record in the East, but obviously some 
someone will uh, question if they deserve the number one power ranking now with a couple of losses to Cleveland in the last few weeks. Western Hockey League playoffs, Game 7 in Moose Jaw, and it is Prince Albert on the road leading 3-2. The game's not even 12 minutes old, 8-22 left in the first. What a first period there. You don't expect Game 7s to have five goals in the first 11 minutes, but that's what's uh, happening tonight in Moose Jaw. Of course, Moose Jaw, the number one team in the league on the ropes tonight. Game 7 on home ice. Later, Vancouver and Victoria Game 7, Spokane and Portland Game 7. Quickly to the text line. Uh, Several texts. uh, Beaver Lodge has a giant beaver. Fallher has a B. Peace River has a uh, 12-foot Davis statue. I don't know what that is for sure. Grand Prairie has a swan. Sangudo has a sundial. And somebody also says Mournville has the world's largest toque. I did not know that. All right. Well, hopefully these are all real. I mean, somebody could text in anything about a small town. I wouldn't know for sure. I haven't been to every small town in Alberta. And, uh, yes, several people obviously mentioning the sausage in Mundare. We've mentioned that, and we have talked about the landing pad in St. Paul. We should do a show from the landing pad. We can make it happen. I mean, it'd just be a regular show. We would just happen to be sitting (laughs) on the landing pad. Maybe a UFO would land while we're there. A dead center, yep. All right. One of my favorite sporting events in the world starts on Thursday. It is the Masters. And uh, this year, they have... (laughs) Apparently, they have banned people in the gallery, and you're not even allowed to call it the gallery at Augusta National. You have to call it the patrons. The fans aren't allowed to shout dilly dilly. I guess this is some ad from a, uh, some slogan from a Budweiser ad, and people have been yelling dilly dilly at sporting at, at golf tournaments. So the Masters is saying don't do that as we bring in Tim Campbell from NHL.com, who has been... Uh, had the pleasure of visiting Augusta National a few times, and they love their rules, don't they, Tim? Well, they do have a lot of them, too, Reed. <laughs> this is, I don't know how they're going to enforce this, but you know they're going to try, won't they? Well, you know what they'll, I mean, how they'll enforce it is they'll pick out the first person who, you know, pulls it off, whatever whatever hole or whatever place it is, and out they'll go. And that'll be quite a message anyone that wants to follow it up if they want to leave too they'll be invited to that's that's how they'll enforce it yes and and that and then the masters are so polite they'll probably invite somebody to leave right exactly (laughs) yeah yeah when uh no you covered the tournament what years tim i covered the tournament uh 12 times between uh, 1998 and 2009 okay so pretty cool years to cover it uh tiger winning i guess three in there phil got a couple uh some exciting tournaments obviously um you tell us what the what the grounds are, are like because i've read that they don't actually sell that many tickets so how big how many patrons are there to use the correct terminology yeah, there's never been an official number, to the best of my knowledge. A lot of, I've seen a lot of estimates or you know, best guesses over the years that they, they like to keep it to maybe 20,000 or so uh, per day on the weekends. Uh, they tend to sell a lot more tickets to the practice rounds. Uh, but there's, no, there's never an official number. If you ask, you kind of get a uh, – people sort of look at you like you're from Mars or something like that. Um, you know, so it's crowded enough, uh, but a, still a pleasant experience if you are lucky enough to have a badge uh, and go. So, you know, that, that keeps it kind of sane. 
without being a, a crazy madhouse at, at any particular year or, or at any particular place on the course. Um, and it's, you know, it's an event like no others. It's, I don't know, I, I, the years I was there, you could, I always found myself, you'd have a hard time telling whether it was, you know, 2012 or, or 2005, whatever years I, years I may have been there, or whether it was 1974. You really would have a lot of trouble telling apart from wardrobes, I guess, because the course itself, the look of the course itself never really changes. They have changed the course, of course, uh, lengthened some of the holes and tinkered with things here and there to sort of hold up the integrity of the course. But from year to year to year, it just looks the same. There's no electronic scoreboards. Um, uh, you know, none of the, the bells and whistles you would find at most modern PGA Tour events. You don't find them at Augusta. Um, you'll find, in some cases, 1970s concession prices still, too. So uh, they don't tend to charge very much for... Uh, for beer or a soft drink or a hot dog for the patrons or a sandwich. Uh, it's one of the things I always marveled at. I mean, it's a few years ago now since I was last there, but I remember being able to roll through the concession tent and, and get the famous pimento cheese sandwich for like $1.50. I mean, it was oh, something geez. ridiculous like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a very interesting place. And, I, and as you know, I mean, I've bugged you when we're at Oilers practice just to talk yeah. about golf and Augusta in general, uh, probably more than you wanted at times. But, but the, uh, I mean, if people, if people like reading about golf or just curious more about golf and the Masters, the book called The Masters by Kurt Sampson in 1998 is, yeah. is a really interesting read. I about, agree. Yeah, about course construction and yeah and we we're not going to get into all the details but it it it's it doesn't pull any punches and there are some ugly things whether you want to talk about racial racial stuff suicides that have that have happened on those grounds which is an interesting dichotomy which how they want to present themselves publicly well you know it's, it's yeah there's some fascinating history uh, both good and sort of tragic associated with augusta national over the years of course um, you know, some of the famous, most famous stories, the shot heard around the world from Gene Sayers, uh, legendary stories about the great Bobby Jones. I mean, maybe maybe the world's truest player, amateur player and champion, um, you know, won some majors, the British Open included, and and all the great history of his founding the course. Uh, there's, there's so much to love about history at Augusta, and that's what, to me, I love about it is, you know, the venue is consistent, and it's the people... And the events that go on through the years that make the news, uh, the course, you know, is well known by a lot of people now, especially in in today's modern era of uh, of media and ways to ways to read things and and find out things. I mean, 20, 30 years ago it was very difficult to, other, you know, if you didn't go to Augusta, you had to rely on, you know, basically back nine pictures for a couple hours on CBS once a year or um, stuff you could read in Golf Digest or different different things so um, I was reading the other day uh, you were talking about some of the things you never really hear about at Augusta there was, there's a good story on Golf Digest if you uh, go searching for it it's not hard to find I think it was called the nine things <clears throat> Augusta National doesn't want to talk about and uh, one of those things you already mentioned was uh, what's what's the attendance uh, on a yearly or a daily basis but there are other things in there too it's really a fascinating sort of um, uh, you know, Augusta National 101 crash course. If you want to learn a little bit about the place, it's, I thought it was a really good story. 
Tim Campbell from NHL.com joining us. He does cover the Oilers, covers hockey, but we're talking about golf because Tim and I do that a lot. And as he mentioned, he's covered the Masters uh, 12 times. And uh, did you ever win the media lottery to play the course? Well, that's one of my, uh, you know, true claims to fame in terms of, you know, golf highlights, I guess, is uh, having been at Augusta National, actually won the lottery twice and and played the course two times. And um, I probably should have quit after the first time. It was, you know, the thrill of a lifetime. I didn't really do very well the second time, but um, something I'll never forget in my entire life is just uh, a magical place to be if you like golf, if you like playing golf. Um, it was kind of like having two Christmases that year in, in, that I got to play. Okay, I got, I got to fill one more more in here because you know people are going to watch this weekend. So give us a, a tee shot or an approach shot, the view or the challenge that sticks with you. So when people are watching Saturday or Sunday, they can say, "Hey, that's the, that's the shot Tim was talking about." Hmm. Well, there's so many. Um, <laughs> I think you know I. I would go with most most of the the popular ones. I'm not going to go against the grainer. When you're standing on the 12th tee, the par three at Amen Corner, and you know the members tee and the tournament tee really aren't that far apart. It's about the same spot over there, not far up the hill from the 11th green. So you're standing there, and whether it's windy or not, the breeze is rolling around. But down in that that little valley. Amen corner. The wind is always circling and swirling around. So you never, even though you know the wind is blowing from the northwest on a given day, when you're down there, you just never can be quite sure. You can see the flag at the 11th. It's almost right in front of you. You can see the tops of the trees. You can probably look down and maybe see what's happening down on the 13th. But you can't. You can't be sure if you can believe your eyes how the flag might be flapping over there in the 12th green. Now the the, the creek runs in front of the green, the bank is steep, the green is kind of shallow, very wide and shallow, there's bunkers in front, there's bunkers in back, um, there's no real good place to miss, and you're standing there, and I, as I recall, maybe about 140 yards, it's not much more than that, and you, you can know what the distance is to the inch, I suppose, if you have a good caddy and, and you know where the flag is cut, but, you know, what, what club do you pull? Do you want to hit a hard eight iron do you want to hit a soft seven iron all these little things are rolling through your head because you just can't quite figure out that wind and your eyes are telling you maybe it looks a little shorter than it is but there's not much room to miss there so i just think it's one of the legendary views in golf and all it does is make you think and you think and you think (laughs) and you think until you drive yourself crazy and the hardest thing then to do when you get on the tee, and you can appreciate this when you watch the tournament this weekend, the hardest thing to do is to stand there and decide what it, what it is you want to play, how hard you want to swing, and then actually do it without moving or lifting your head or changing your mind when you get to the top of your backswing. The commitment on the 12th tee, that's one of the hardest things I think I've found and all the shots there are to play at Augusta National. All right, so people remember that when you're watching the uh, par 3 12th famous hole. Uh, Tim, we'll talk hockey next time. The golf was more fun tonight, man. Thanks a lot for coming on. I'll see you at the rink, okay? 
Anytime, Reed. Take care. That is Tim Campbell checking in from NHL.com. He's covered the Masters, got to play Augusta National twice. Uh, somebody texting in, is Mike Weir playing? Yes, Mike Weir is playing in the Masters. Uh, tea time on Thursday, 8.52 a.m. That's obviously Eastern time, so 6.52 Mountain time. Mike Weir, as long as he's healthy, can play in the Masters till he's 65, right? Because he's a past champion. So there you go. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Western Hockey League. Edmonton's own Giorgio Estevan. Traded from Lethbridge to Swift Current during the season. He helped Swift win a Game 7 last night. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Game 7 in the Western Hockey League last night. Swift Current able to knock off Regina. 3-2 to advance, helping the Broncos win. Edmonton native Giorgio Estefan. Giorgio, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing very well. Thanks for making time for me tonight. And uh, quite an intense first-round series for you guys, but uh, you're able to figure it out and uh, get past a pretty tough Regina team. Just tell me a little bit about the series. Tell me a little bit about getting through Game 7. Uh, I mean, it's definitely a hard-fought series. Um, I mean, it was a little bit odd, you know, kind of the, some of the games that we were winning. They're a little bit more lopsided than we kind of would have thought. But, um, you know, it was definitely a, an exciting time for, you know, our team to win that game seven. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it was definitely hard fought and we're definitely relieved for sure. For, for you personally, is it Regina had, because when you were with Lethbridge, had Regina knocked your team out of the playoffs the last three years in a row before this year? Uh, last two, so we lost in game five and lost in game six, and then we won in game seven, so got lucky for sure. Okay, all right, so a little bit of, uh, I, I don't know if it's it's revenge necessarily, but you must have felt, uh, even though you changed teams during the year, that you had a rivalry with the Pats. I mean, yeah, it's been it's been brewing for the last couple of seasons, and um, we're definitely, uh, some of us coming from Westbridge are definitely uh, a little bit, uh, you know, more driven for sure to, to win that series. All right. Well, in terms of coming over from Lethbridge, I mean, that was a, a pretty big trade when uh, it was announced back in January. Can you take me back to to that day, uh, you know, sort of how you found out about the trade and, and, and your reaction at the time? Was that a little unexpected? I mean, I kind of had a little bit of suspicion kind of leading up into the deadline, and it was, uh, it was definitely uh, kind of negated a little bit, and I was kind of a little bit... Uh, you no, know, unsure, but I mean, there's always a possibility on deadline day that something can happen, and um, you know, it ended up happening. And I was, uh, you know, pretty thankful that I got to go with a couple of close friends, and um, it definitely made it a little bit easier to go with, uh, you know, being traded for my first time. And um, you know, it was, uh, it was definitely hard to leave the place that I've been for the last four years, but um, you know, it was definitely, uh, you know, I'm excited that you know I'm here in Swift Current, and um, I think we've got something special going on here. When you were traded, did did your role change at all from the Leth from from Lethbridge to Swift Current? I mean, did your responsibilities, expectations on the team, did anything like that change for you? Um, I mean, anytime I think you go to a new team, you kind of got to feel out, you know, where you are. And I mean, we acquired a lot of great players around the deadline and even before. And, um, I mean, we had, definitely have a, a very deep team and. Um, you know, everyone kind of is always asked to, you know, change roles and be in different opportunities when you have so many skilled players. And um, I mean, I'm definitely fortunate to be on a team that's so deep and um, 
to have to change a role that uh, you know I'm definitely not used to playing is a little bit different. But I mean, in the long run, it's uh, it's definitely going towards a great cause. And I mean, we're all uh, you know pulling on the same cord and we're itching for the same thing. So um, at the end of the day, I think everyone kind of gets to play you know the role they're used to a little bit. And um, you know, the reason I bring you on the team is to is to do what you do best. And, I'm not trying to change you um, into a player that you're not. So, I mean, our coaches have definitely been very good in that sense and um, helped me transition well. Edmonton native Giorgio Estefan joining us on Inside Sports now with the Swift Current Broncos. They've advanced to the second round of the WHL playoffs. I, I got to ask you, and, and this this comes up uh, often when I when I talk to people about the Western Hockey League. What can you tell me about playing in Swift Current? Pretty uh, unique community, obviously. Uh, you know, a small city in the WHL. Pretty passionate fan base for the Broncos. What's been the experience like of playing there, playing in front of those fans? Um, I mean, even going back to you know, last night's game, Game 7, I mean, it's definitely uh, one of the more electric crowds I've ever been in front of. And, um, you know, I didn't really like coming to play in Swift Current just because of how crazy, you know, everyone was and how small the rink was when I was in Lethbridge. And definitely being on the other side of it and being the home team is uh, it's definitely nice to be able to, you know, play, you know, in this barn and play in front of the community and the fans that are, 100% behind the team and um, everyone just uh, sending positive vibes from you know being on the street and seeing someone at the grocery store to you know in restaurants and stuff like that so I mean it's definitely a pretty um, you know Bronco um, loved community and you know I'm definitely proud to be a part of it. All right, Giorgio, I mentioned you're from Edmonton Southside Athletic Club. Uh, I don't know if there's anybody you, you want to give a shout-out, a mentor or a coach or some old teammates, but, uh, you know, I, I know it uh, It still gets mentioned. Obviously, Stauffer always mentions that uh, that you're a grad of the Southside Athletic Club. Uh, just what did that uh, What did that part of your life mean to you and your development? Um, I mean, playing with, you know, all the coaches and great players that I've had, you know, in my time with Southside Athletic Club and, I mean, even growing up through minor hockey, um, you know, there's definitely a lot of uh, great players that have come out of that program. Um, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to be able to play with a lot of good players that, I mean, even two of my line mates have been, um, John Quinville and Jake Bruss, who are, you know, playing in the NHL today is, uh, you know, it's pretty, I'm pretty fortunate for that. And, um, I mean, minor hockey is always a you know key key time for players to find kind of who they are and their stride. And um, I mean, playing for Southside uh, definitely helped me be a better you know playoff performer, which is kind of where I'm going through to today. And um, definitely uh, put me in a lot of good experiences for sure. All right. Well, good for you guys getting through a tough series, a pretty competitive first round in the Western Hockey League. Giorgio, thanks for coming on Inside Sports. Uh, if you guys keep rolling, we'll definitely do this again, okay? Anytime. Thanks. Giorgio Estevan from the Swift Current Broncos. They will play the winner of Prince Albert and Moose Jaw in the second round. PA leading Moose Jaw 3-2. Start of the second period. Moose Jaw, the number one seed. They had a 3-1 series lead. PA trying to pull off the upset. Final look at the NHL scoreboard. Coyotes lead the Flames 2-0 after one in the third. Panthers up 2-0 on the Predators. Lightning up 4-0 on the Bruins. Jets lead the Canadians 3-2. Blue Jackets come from behind to beat the Red Wings 5-4 in overtime. Islanders hold off the Flyers for a 5-4 win. Taylor Hall, four points. Devils take down the Rangers 5-2. 
Blue Jays are leading the White Sox 7-5 in the bottom of the eighth, and the Cavaliers beat the Raptors 112-106. Kelly Rudy and Ryan Smith will be on the show tomorrow. Thanks to our studio producer, Kellen Kennedy. The producer of Inside Sports is Dave Campbell. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great evening. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.